All right, well, the boys are back in town. Got everyone back in the studio for BDE this week. Chuck and I got to go to Exxon's campus last week and get the tour. No one would tell me where Darren Wood's office was, unfortunately. It's oh, not, yeah, it's we not, walked it's right not under it. Woodlands, is we it? walked right under it, and they pointed to it. Didn't they they maybe relocate? they didn't tell you I think you they where relocated them, so they're... That's not his real office, dude. Well, that's what no one actually knows officially. They don't know officially where his real office is. They think it's at corner. I can get an answer office. right. I can text the guy and get an answer right now. Let's see it. All right. Prove it. <laughs> I could too, but... Tell him I want to know exactly where his office is. And Darren needs to come on the podcast. But no, it was really cool. We got to, uh, they Currently walked us. Currently broadcasting live at BDE, <laughs> and we're asking where Darren Woods' office. Kirk's using his voice to is. voice to text. You know what I've realized about voice to text? There's this very bimodal distribution of ages that use voice to text. You're either seven years old or you're 40 plus. Damn, dude. Wow. You don't use it? <laughs> no. <laughs> like, no one might. No one in between 20 I'm and 40 years. I'm scared of having so you on. I've you looked- type fast? Yeah. You thumb fast? Well, what's funny is like my little kids use it. Use so his voice? It's only, not calling you guys old, but it's only weighted towards older people and like really young kids. I don't use it. That scares me because I look down talking about, you know, texting somebody <laughs> yeah. going, man, that dude's yeah, an know. asshole. And you look down and, <laughs> and you're just like, typed it out. wow. Yeah. So I actually, one of the, I actually, hey, hey, a quick answer, top of one of the energy buildings. Oh, well, so, I, exactly. <laughs> that, Top, narrows, yeah. that narrows it down. Yeah. Top of one. I had heard buildings. that they were moving from a very secluded, very exclusive part of the campus to something more. Sixth floor, bro. Nailed it. Sixth floor. Well, we walked under and they were pointing. Yeah. It was, That's about it. I mean, that building is one of six stories or so. So, I actually sent this to a buddy of mine who's pretty senior, senior dude over there. I said, in all seriousness, for all the perception of old stodgy Exxon, really cool vibe out there. Love the energy of the young folks. The technology we got to see was unbelievable. So yeah. count me as a fan. I'm an Exxon fan. Yeah, no. All right, here, this is a this is a good Exxon exec for you. LOL, <laughs> which I guess only people over forty probably use. <laughs> they moved it because it was in sniper view. I can't say the specific building. Okay. Yeah. See. See, a good employee is going to not give out the details. If I ask some other people, they'd be like, oh, it's exactly here. Yeah, the He's, rumor uh, is, protecting, the rumor protecting is the they game. said they they, they pointed to where they thought his office was. And <clears> the rumor <throat> is that it has all bulletproof glass and. He's got an underground tunnel parking with an elevator that takes him up to the office. He's Batman. Yeah, he's Batman. Like, being CEO of Exxon is much different than being CEO of Digital Wildcatters. <laughs> <laughs> don't get the fucking, don't get the bat cave. They said he's got a gym, cafeteria in his office. Yeah, you don't even get front row parking because everyone takes it before you get here. I know, dude. Shit, man. What the fuck am I doing with my life? <laughs> but no, it was really cool. We got to walk through their uh, remote operating center. I was telling Mark this earlier before we got on the podcast, but. Uh, you know, the guy that runs the room, longtime company man on these deep water drill ships. And I think they're running <clears throat> six deep water drill ships around the world. And he's got this room and it's a big command station in one corner and you got NOV over there. You got another command station, it's Halliburton. The other one's Baker. And he's essentially assembled all of his Willfield service vendors, just like you would on a deep water rig. And um, anyways, with the click of a button, I mean, <clears throat> they're steering the drill bit. I mean, not 
clicking a button and sending an email and saying, hey, turn the bit. And they're actually controlling the operations all around <clears throat> the world from this room. So it was very cool to see that. I said, hey, let me come do a podcast here. They said they won't let them. So all I can do well, is Are they the controlling best. you right now? They are. <laughs> but for all, our, for all our bitching about the energy business and not collaborating, it was cool seeing all the different service companies in one spot sharing information, best practices. I felt a lot better about the industry, actually. Chuck, you don't bitch about minutes. the energy industry. The energy industry built you, bro. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's always you're, you're weird, a defender but no, of it. But, but, there's this but, weird dichotomy, though, because we talk, like, you see this. We always talk about, like, the industry not collaborating and sharing information. But then you get on Deepwater Get on like an actual this. rig. Yeah, it happens. There's all kinds yeah. of collaboration. Yeah, it happens on rigs. It happens out in the field. And so it's just Especially this weird. water, it's amazing. The, this yeah, is just a lot more comfortable environment. Yeah. Nice chairs, nice screens, dark room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice, yeah, nice said, break area. You're not like, sitting under like some candles. City, so, yeah, I, I mean, light well, well, some candles, pour up a bottle of wine, and you can collaborate. Speaking of collaboration, <laughs> And and your and your now your favorite company Exxon Mobil, they just bought one hundred twenty thousand acres in Arkansas, and they're doing lithium mining. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, so we, we talked about that acquisition, but had, had they started? It's production public yet? today. I don't know if they started production, but because they, yeah, we talked about it on BDE a couple months ago. That's right. But the, I love it because you know it's funny. I gave a. So what was I talking to? It was in New Mexico. Oh, at the Carlsbad, Carlbe Carlsbad Mayor Energy Convention or something like that. And it's like 2,000 people. And anyways, I was up there talking and they didn't really give me much direction I wanted to talk about. So I talked about everything. <laughs> talked about lithium. Uh, so they've had Chuck speak before. Yeah. <laughs> talked about lithium extraction from Brian. And like, I had like three people come up to me and super interested about that like hey we're gonna go to learn more about that mm -hmm. and now you see exxon starting to make these moves and essentially what they're doing is you know when i first started thinking about the idea it was a few years ago i saw this company called lilac solutions and they invented this technology to strip lithium out of brine water and they were partnering up with like um, geothermal plants out in nevada and california and i was thinking about it it's like Oil and gas produces a shit ton of brine water. It's like, is there lithium in that brine? And probably. I'm not a I'm not a geologist, but it seems like there's higher concentrations of lithium in plays like the Smackover and um, you know, that that area compared to places like West Texas. But, you know, think Exxon, you go take up these big, big leaseholds and then deploy some of this new technology to strip that lithium. Yeah, we talked about the lithium concentrations as I recall. I don't re don't remember the actual benchmarks for you know sweet spot in terms of lithium concentration but it was it was pretty high in the spectrum of of things that have been considered uh for who do we know that's got some info on that on a mining company i could i could get some people well for and my short time that i worked for a, one of the largest <laughs> mining companies the, the, no, six, the six weeks you put the in six <laughs> weeks i learned a lot I, at first i was like you show up and you're like hey where's the lithium and it's like gold you know like and you strike gold and you're like it's everywhere <laughs> what i realized is hey see that entire mountain we get about one battery out of that. We're going to remove this entire <laughs> mountain, know. and there's a bunch of other shit in there, but we get some lithium. But see, that it's actually crazy. brings up a really important point because, you know, there's these charts people <clears throat> post on Twitter all the time, and it shows the amount of um, 
materials that we have to mine and oil and gas is always like sky high on the chart and the amount of lithium and metals is small. But what it doesn't account for is all that oil and gas comes from a small wellhead, right? No, hold this yeah, big. Lithium <laughs> and metals, you have to move all of this dirt to get a little amount. And so they never take into consideration the- Mark Mills Mar does a nice job on the volume moved. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah that's what it's five hundred thousand pounds yeah. of stuff right. to ultimately get to a thousand pound Tesla battery. Yeah, and, you, and it's, it's five hundred thousand to a thousand. Yeah. Five hundred thousand to a thousand. So that includes overburden. You're, you know, you got to dig up a lot of stuff to get. That's to the actually stuff. pretty damn good because we were discussing direct air capture and what's the what's the magnitude there, Mark? Twenty five hundred to one. Twenty five hundred to one. I mean, if you think about air, it's point zero four percent, which is point zero 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 four. CO2, right? So you're moving 2,500 units of air to capture one unit of CO2. But we have a trivia question sponsored by, who's our sponsor this week? Chili's. 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 Sponsored <laughs> by Chili's. <laughs> Presidentes and Brinkers. But what, Chuck, what's the trivia question? You had a trivia question for the audience and, and maybe we'd hear an answer. What's a, 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 actually, this is a game. This is what we're going to do. This is a good I game. want all the experts to come out today and tell us exactly what is the right amount of CO2 to have in the atmosphere and what it will lead to if we have that. And we'll just see who's right in 50 years. Because if you have too right? much, right, Chuck, you grow a lot of shit, right? Well, you, are you listening? And if you have too little, little, everything freezes. I try not to, but because <laughs> we were talking about this. Um, but yeah, it was. And was I'm that, not even. And I I'm think not, it was at Exxon. I was like, if you, if you, today we had the technology, we'd harness the technology to control the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere. What is the perfect amount of CO2? Because you got to think. I'm sure Putin would love for Russia warm, to be thought out. Warm water port. Yeah. Damn. David Ramsen Wood would love Canada to be five exactly. degrees warmer. Yeah. But you think about all. There's the, a reason we haven't invaded Canada yet. Yeah, think man, about all the resources that Russia would be able to unlock. But, um, but your whole point is, is who makes the call if we have the technology right? I'm like, we don't even know the technology. Yeah. So go ahead and make your guess on how much CO2 should be there, and what it'll lead, and we'll come back and fit, put it in the time capsule. Come back. Love it. Fifty years. Winner gets the uh, El Presidente Margarita from Chili's. But. <laughs> but it's not even in the time capsule. It's in Collide Pro. Bro. There we go. <laughs> All we have is an Antarctica <laughs> tip, which is in some respects a time capsule. No, Collide, what is Collide Pro? Collide Pro. Let me just tell you about Collide Pro. <laughs> it used to be called something else, but this is actually amazing. All I have to do is get on Collide Pro and type in, like, you know, w what's the appropriate amount of CO2 in the atmosphere? And it'll pull up Who's today's episode. Pull up today's episode. And not only will it give me today's episode, it'll give me the exact where in the episode. And it'll actually have the script transcript there and highlighted of any this time. This is kind we of bad CO2. for us moving forward. Like any predictions that we give, we gotta think that these things can be indexed and looked up. Dude, quickly. I had a Chevron engineer could... bust my balls a week and a half ago on this exact topic. He's like, Don't you guys remember when you guys gave predictions on oil prices? I was like, yeah, we didn't pull that shit up. But with Clyde Pro, we yeah, could do that we and we should up. do that. We should we can do scorecard it. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. we got to look. I mean, we should, we should make it like every quarter. We should make a prediction. 
And Remember when we were when we were doing each European country? Let's once a quarter we'll do our predictions, and then that way they're on the record. Yeah, and then we can we can have a bet on the line. So I know no we've President been Presidente Mark to the line. I know we've been all disjointed here, jumping around. The one thing I do want to circle back with, because Mark, you and I have talked about this, because I think this is interesting, and this will be a prediction that we can go back and look at. Okay. I think actually mining is a core competency to oil and gas companies. And so if you think strategic fits going forward, as much as the ESG crowd would hate that, investors may not react favorably. I mean, if you are a really good oil and gas company, being able to then go extract lithium, then to be able to go and potential mine same side, same kind of core wow. skill set. I mean, who else I mean, is be really interesting? Who else is going to do it? Microsoft, yeah. Google. I mean, it's, yeah, Apple. It's the energy well, mining companies that have the technical ability. Well, and gas is extractive. Each well bore is a mini mine, right? Yeah, and so, exactly. Who better equipped to understand extraction in really bad places? Yeah, right? political from a harsh, harsh environment, of, yeah. political nuance. Um, you know, a tremendous amount of issues in places like um, Congo, Dem Democratic Republic of Congo, as has been pointed out recently with Cobalt Red, et cetera. Just the, the magnitude of the increase in critical minerals extraction and now the hyperattention on doing it more responsibly, I think, is going to necessarily involve those so companies who've well, been we doing the, it, who've been extracting things for 150 years. We and have the are DRC. the most responsible extractors right. on the planet. I mean, the DRC and then also Arkansas, as, as ExxonMobil's <laughs> finding out. In fact, Dan Amon, the head of Exxon's low-carbon solutions business, quotes, we're drilling wells 10,000 feet underground into these saltwater reservoirs. That's obviously directly in our wheelhouse and capability set. Yeah, He's talking yeah. about the lithium mining. I yeah, mean, that's absolutely. exactly what they do. Well, what's cool about it is I love it because to Chuck's point, you know, people that are EV advocates in the name of fighting climate change and big bad oil. Now you got to get your lithium from big bad oil. <laughs> and so I love the irony <laughs> in well, and justice. And you got to do it here too. I mean, if we're going to be intellectually honest about this, we need to do it in the United States. You can't just export the problems. And that that's that's what well, it's not even climate. exporting it's not even exporting the problems. It's a matter of national security and energy security. I mean, do you want all your lithium coming from supply chains that are owned by China? And being able to secure our own resource and our mm -hmm. own source of lithium is pretty critical. Yeah. And we don't have a lot like <laughs> Right now, as far as we know, we don't have a lot of metal resources in the United States. So, you know, we're rich in coal and oil and gas, and mm -hmm. but we don't have huge metal deposits. So we yeah. have the Salton Sea in California. Right? Yeah, there's yeah. big copper mines up in Yukon. Yeah, yeah. That's where I mean. That's why you know. Lilac What's the is, big deposits in Vermont? I think. There's yeah, there's some in, up like in the northeast. In there was yeah. a main story about a couple that have a pretty significant lithium deposit, but there's a lot of immediate and quite uh, strident opposition. Right, that getting a mine somebody in North established Carolina, in Maine, I think, would be well beyond <clears throat> the span of 
my remaining lifetime. Right. And there was there was a project that a publicly traded company, and I'm blanking on the name, tried to get permitted for the last 15 years in North Carolina. And instead, they gave up and are pursuing a mine in the Congo. Yeah, because they thought it would be politically easier. Yeah, the um, you know the Exxon thing is interesting to me because I haven't seen anything on this. I don't know if y'all have, but I don't know if they're partnering with Lilac Solutions to deploy their technology or if they've developed their own internal technology to strip that lithium out. But you know, Lilac's backed by um, Chris Saka's fund, Lower Carbon Ventures, and actually, you know who invested in it was uh, Coley from Crusoe. Oh, he's one of their yeah. angel investors hmm. um because when i brought up lithium mining like three years ago coley's eyes lit up he's like he's like no one else is talking about that he's like me and my dad are buying up <laughs> you know these these assets and they invested in lilac and so um i mentioned i'm interested if uh exxon is going to deploy that third-party technology or if they've developed some process on their own i saw a lot of those business plans kind of over the last 18 months, two years of, of people having a technology. So I'm not sure it's that, yeah, that, <clears throat> that proprietary, but who knows? Yeah. What, what, sure. what you won't see is Exxon jumping out of ahead of commercial viability at scale and committing capital because of the returns risk to, to any of that. Well, so yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's material, their, their position, right? So they have right. something, they have their hands around something that, they think and it's and it's a it's a great adjacency to what their core business is yeah but you know what's interesting is like no one was talking about this just a couple years ago and so you know what other types of resources are out there that we can find i mean no one was looking at arkansas (laughs) out of all places as being some big lithium deposit so are there other places that that we can find high lithium concentration as well and extract it so other places that aren't in california (laughs) exactly you know i love what i love about here's what i love about like the future of energy still subsurface so whether it's lithium hydrogen ccus geothermal and it's like oil and gas we've extracted all this oil and gas and we've you know essentially put co2 in the atmosphere now we'll capture that CO2 and we'll charge to inject it. And then we'll drill geothermal wells. Like it's a circular <laughs> economy that oil and gas companies just never die. We just figure out new ways to recycle and reuse. So I find that. And I think like, you know, I was talking about that at Exxon. It's like Exxon's really well poised to take advantage of all of these things. So anyways, the lithium is super exciting. I mean, I think that that's, Obviously, it's dependent on geology, but I think that that trend's going to continue. Hmm. Plus, it just cleans up a waste stream. I mean, you're yeah. inje- you're injecting. I mean, it's still nasty salt brine water, but at the end of the day, you're taking some bad stuff out of it. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, this next story actually kind of bummed <clears throat> bummed me out. Who's up, Mark? Are you up on new scale? And yeah, there was a um, a pretty important announcement last week by New Scale and uh, the Utah Associated Municipal Power System decided not to proceed with the uh, small modular reactor project that was actually going to be located in Idaho, I think adjacent to a research facility, but it was going to serve, I don't know how many are in that system, um, 
but New Scale's stock was off 42% last week. Pretty big setback for, I think, SMR progress, at least from a headline standpoint, you know, inciting some of the old familiar factors that we've seen in offshore wind with things like inflation, supply chain, cost overruns, et cetera. And so I think I think these utility commissions are looking at at this environment and seeing what what kind of rate increases are going to be uh, needed to support investment and operation and saying, look, we, we just can't politically go to to the rate base or the rate payers with you know continued escalation in in, um, in rates and pricing. So it'd be great to see an, on a normalized basis, like what's the cost per megawatt hour of these projects? Like the small modular reactor, nuclear, the offshore wind. We don't really like no one really reports you've got to the try Laz- to normalize. You've got the Lazard uh what do they call it the loce where they've supposedly levelized cost of energy yeah and Dunberg did a piece a couple of weeks ago on just all the problems of well it doesn't it talks about when it can deliver power over time not necessarily where you need it so you get into the reliability type issue um and the various other problems it also doesn't account for if we're going to build a whole lot of solar, it's going to happen in Texas and West Texas. And how are we going to get mm. it to Houston? Right. I.e. the transmission, the other costs and stuff. So supposedly the footnotes to that report are longer than the actual report, report itself, itself. Uh, for it. But uh, yeah, this kind of bummed me out. because But when, they don't do that for, I mean, they, we have hubs for gas. Oil is reported on a, I mean, on a per barrel, but but that is also regional to some degree, right? I mean, we yeah. have Brent. You can get a have... bottle of barrel barrel of oil anywhere in the world for a buck. I mean, you know, for the most part, two bucks, whatever, because we've got all the infrastructure to do it. I mean, this yeah, this is. new power generation is going to be brand new lines that haven't even been permitted today, much less, yeah, you know, built. True. I, I did think one element you mentioned the Doom Doomberg piece. It's called fission chips, and it's really centered or anchored on the notion that you know the explosion in, in uh, data center demand and and chip manufacturing. Somebody tweeted out a big construction site in Sherman, Texas, and it's quietly becoming a I guess a chip manufacturing hub. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically saying that <laughs> because of the extreme reliability that's required. And the scale and the cost that you know tech will get this done politically, despite opposition from environmental activists, and they cited a few of the the well known activist groups because it's it's their absolute future, and so there's so much political clout on the side of tech that basically we'll I think, set up the I, think story, I think Mark. what they were just suggesting that it's just going to get steamrolled. Step back, set up the story for me about vision. And well, what the story it, it was, was basically centered on the fact that nuclear is going to have to be a key part of satisfying demand. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much ambient momentum behind chip manufacturing mm-hmm. and data centers mm-hmm. that it, it's actually just going to steamroll things over the long run. Well, what's interesting is Texas is actually being seen as and harbinger of the future because usually electricity 
does increase. People need more and more electricity, but they're usually it's offset by efficiency gains. Like we come with more so, efficient things like our iPhones are, use less let, power. Let so. me throw the stat at you real quick. It's 1950 to uh, 2000 power usage in America up almost 15 X because we came up with all this cool stuff to do with power lighting, yeah. computers, washers and dryers, refrigerators, air conditioning, 2000 to basically today, it's been flat to your point. Lighting has gotten so incredibly efficient. Uh, ACs have gotten so incredibly efficient. Even computers, we're using 10x the power in data centers over the last decade, but only using about 10% more power to power those because the machines have gotten way more efficient and all that shit ends today. I mean, basically the machines are as efficient as they're gonna get. Well, so that, that's, actually, that's actually not true. Like I was gonna have a talking point is you're gonna see, you know, it's just like Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin mining went from operating on CPUs to GPUs to ASICs. You're gonna see the same thing happen with machine learning is like I've already seen a couple of tech companies that are working on new ASICs that perform specific operations within generative AI. And so they become more efficient. And so I think you're gonna see some pretty big efficiency gains in the actual machines through the use of ASICs moving from GPUs to ASICs over time. Um, but I still think that just the volume. Of well, everything in life's an S curve to some degree. And yeah. we definitely, definitely 2000 to today was a steep part of the S curve. And whether mm -hmm. we got more steepness, I'm thinking we're flattening out. You think we got more <clears throat> steepness. The yeah. shit's hitting the fan. That's the point. Yeah. There's no more hiding yeah. behind these big, huge efficiency gains. We yeah. need more power. Well, That's why the, we're having brownouts. Well, I mean, well we interesting, in the U.S., over the last decade, uh, sales or energy consumption grew 5%. Texas grew 25%. Yeah. And what's interesting is, and they're like, well, is this a harbinger? Why Texas? With a few reasons. One, you have things that we know about Tesla Gigafactory turned on. The largest all-electric LNG facilities on the Texas Gulf Coast. Um, Bitcoin mining. But uh, as we're reshoring manufacturing, as data center, as we've talked and talked and talked about data centers, we don't have enough. They're already tapping out. But we're trying to electrify everything. Mm -hmm. and, and so Texas is actually struggling because we are – Energy consumption is going through the roof. Just, I don't know if you're just, on. just a little kind of how big is this stuff in terms of increments to demand. I think one of the statistics that was cited in the Fish and Chips article was that the data centers currently under development, correct, would consume all of the output of Diablo Canyon, which <clears throat> supplies 20% of California's electricity. Mm -hmm. That's just what's under development now. Yeah, I mean, what I don't did, know if y'all Adam, What did Adam say to Eve the first time they were together? You better back up. We don't know how big this thing's going to get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when we, uh, I don't know if y'all were on this episode. Um, it might have just been me and Chuck, but we read off some. Sponsored of the, by Adam and Eve Boutique. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, uh, we have to get used to saying these things. People are fighting us to sponsor the show, man. I'm just trying to get your head around it. Go ahead, Colin. 
Anyways, we talked on this one episode, um, just kind of ran through a short list of some of the uh, battery plants that were being built in the United States, the chip plants, you know, talking, going back to the lithium conversation, <clears throat> talking about security of um, supply chains and diversification of supply chains. It's the same thing with chips. Like We don't want to be dependent on China and Taiwan to produce our chips. And so uh, the Chips Act is was passed to incentivize these companies mm-hmm. to build these chip plants here. And guess what? They're going to co-locate with reliable energy assets. Um, you know, I keep seeing like Elon promoting this narrative on Twitter and other people that a hundred uh, miles by a hundred miles of solar panels will power the entire United States. And everyone's like, Oh my gosh, why don't we just build a hundred square miles of solar panels? But he always leaves out the battery capacity needed to make sure that it's reliable, the transmission. I mean, it's, it, and Elon's, Elon's smarter than this. He knows these things. And he did make a secondary comment to that. He's like, he's like, we would need battery capacity, of course. We're like, yeah, that's a big, but, but the, <laughs> that's a but big the headlines, the headline. He's also talking his book. So yeah, <laughs> yeah the headline's a headline though. Yeah. So um, anyways, I think what's been interesting call it the last 10 years is whether people know this or not big tech has been a huge driver of the energy makeup in the united states google amazon microsoft because what they're doing is they go get these big these big power purchase agreements for their data centers and they tell the utilities hey this has to be 100 percent clean renewable power so now the utility has to go you know um, right has to go source that power and so these these big tech companies are driving energy infrastructure whether whether it's intentional or not they're saying i need five gigawatts of power it better be clean and it has second third order effects and what's happening today that hasn't happened in the past because you're absolutely right with what's been going on is big techs now being told no yeah. Like Dominion that services Virginia because a lot of people want their data centers in and around Washington, D.C. Mm-hmm. is now telling people, we can't provide you the power. Yeah. And that that's the big crisis thing that is happening right now that I don't know that Silicon Valley appreciates. Yeah. Um, I mean, the upper echelons well, do. I mean, you're the seeing smarter that with ones. Bitcoin mining in <clears throat> Texas. I mean, people are very adverse to Bitcoin mining and having these data centers and you know, maybe there's some element of like, oh, you're you're mining fake internet money, but computer's a computer at the end of the day. Who cares if it's mining Bitcoin, if it's processing generative AI? And so people, if you see people in Texas bitching about that, complaining about it, you're going to see it in other parts of the country as well. And that's why we're seeing Microsoft has come out and, and has put out press releases and alluding to embedding nuclear power into their data centers. Um, and I think we're going to see more of this. So I've well, actually, I said a big tech turns into energy companies. I yeah. Mean, well, and I've told you, I don't know if I've told you to this, I've told Colin this, I've gone on uh, Twitter into the direct messages to Mark Andreessen of Andreessen Horowitz and just acted like we're best friends. Hey man, this is a big problem. We got to throw a party and get this together and we need to go to You can look at Chuck's and- text. He has a running like 30 texts oh, in a yeah, row. It's just <laughs> Mark not answering. <laughs> hey, yeah. 
It's like, you need to get your Silicon Valley VC guys together and I'll get Texas uh, private equity together, Energy PE, and we'll we'll get together and solve this. Because in all seriousness, I would say we need to do that, Mark Andreessen. Um, I'm, <laughs> I'm in favor of Telluride. But uh, they need to do that because we need their political clout that you alluded to earlier. But I don't think the existing utility infrastructure that generates the power is going to be able to solve this problem. I do think you're going to need private capital sources that can be more entrepreneurial. And that's not a huge, huge group of folks these days. I mean, you've got some PE that does power generation, but I think it's going to be the <clears throat> Texas private equity guys that did the shale revolution <clears throat> yeah. that solved this power problem. Well, you know, it also, I truly believe that talking like, my own book, I guess. But I think the the thing that's interesting to me is the co-location of these data centers and chip manufacturers with energy assets because now you can kind of you can kind of mitigate the quote-unquote transmission problem because it's just like bitcoin mining you know everyone's always used this term like bitcoin is a battery and it doesn't really make sense from a like physics perspective but like from a theoretical perspective i understand what they're saying and it's you know you can take let's say it's flared gas and you can convert that flared gas to electricity and you can create a Bitcoin from it. And so you took something that was waste, created mm -hmm. something of value, but now you can transfer that value anywhere around the world. Same thing will happen with these GPUs and data centers for generative AI. You have a geothermal assets that's out in the middle of nowhere and you don't have any, like you're not able to transmit that power anywhere if you build it. But if you build it and you co-locate it with one of these big data centers, now you can create something of value from that energy and then you can transmit that that value through absolutely i mean because the the keyboard can be in houston texas in that room and uh at exxon right yeah. it doesn't have to be there it can be i mean one the of the first deals itself. i have invested in in energy was in 2010 that was they were taking building micro turbines for flare gas specifically oh, really? yeah. to generate energy yeah the power of the community or whatever. But yeah. um, people have been thinking about this for a long time. It's just really hard to execute, and especially when you're in remote places. Yeah. But circling back but that's on- But go ahead. let me add on to that. But that's changing because one problem, and I mean, this is a very recent problem. We're talking like last five to 10 years was uh, bandwidth and latency issues right. and being able to transmit data and that's not a problem anymore especially with Starlink right. coming out that's a good and point just fucking opens up the opportunity to be able mm. to operate these data centers in really remote locations um, and you know that that's I just think that we're seeing a few different things happen where it's enabling us to do these things if I could get the data, but to circle back on Dominion Energy, which is the primary utility for Virginia, they've, since 2019, they've connected 75 new data centers. Yeah. This year alone, their energy consumption is up 7%, and they're forecasting that energy demand will grow by 85% over the next 15 years. I mean, this is a gigantic issue. And I know that's why John Arnold and Michael Skelly, yeah. who I admire in, in a big way, is Grid United, which they're trying to kind of build the grid that connects. Yeah, they have a really interesting thesis that they're that they're executing on. I enjoyed getting to hear what they were working on. 
you know it's funny just <clears throat> this is super random but just talking about data centers being built up there in ohio google has some pretty big um data center operations and it's actually funny one of my uh good friends from down here he's a uh, petroleum engineer drilling engineer and uh, i think he's drilling engineer for bhp and moved up to ohio to help manage their data centers and so you see big tech taking oil and gas talent to go operate these large data centers at the end of the day it's surface infrastructure yeah so yeah so this is kind of crazy the i'm the oldest of four boys the fifth yates brother is 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 uh zane ball who we went to rice with great dude went to intel right after he got his phd been there ever since <clears throat> building uh building chips he now listens to the podcast because he's in charge of energy efficiency for intel and he's like hey i listen to you guys because i got to figure it out they just worked on a on a i think i don't i think this is public it's been announced that they worked with shell on an immersion cooling yeah technology because obviously that's a big deal i think we're actually talking to shell about coming out to empower to um talk about what they're doing with that immersion cooling but you know intel i think they since receded with this plan but they were coming out with asics for bitcoin mining um and i think they stopped that program um just because the downturn in bitcoin mining but yeah we need to get him on a show sometime and chip manufacturing yeah uh one last thing while we're on nuclear then we can uh we can jump someplace else but i'll give a shout out because i've only listened to two episodes but i can tell the rest of them are going to be good MIT educated scientist Brett Kugelmas decided he wanted to learn about nuclear because he's really scared of climate change. He thinks the world's going to end. And he went around and started a podcast called Titans of Nuclear, where he just went around and talked to all the folks that had been working on nuclear and he didn't think anyone would talk to him and everybody's like you want to talk about nuclear sure come on <laughs> no doubt they've been starved so anyway i've started listening to it and and uh the 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 first one i listened to made a really interesting point that i don't think i appreciate the whole cost of nuclear uh is driven by the ability to replicate what you do so if you go in and you build one true economies of scale the second one is half the price third one's half the price of that and so to some degree if we're going to be doing nuclear in the united states we may just have to pick pick something pick a standard pick a standard that's it and everybody let's go an interesting thought experiment is someone asked this the other day on twitter and i've been thinking about this a lot it's like should energy be a part of central planning and if you look at nuclear like there's a really good case like we're going to subsidize any energy we should be subsidizing nuclear in my opinion and if you look at like the productivity and i'm they're going to laugh at me for this but i always think about to my video game days as a kid on the computer playing command and conquer generals the first thing that you had to do was you had to build power plants before you could build anything right i mean everything is downstream of energy right so our ability to be productive as a nation is dependent on our ability to have reliable and secure energy and so you guys think that there's ever a case where it makes sense to have you know subsidized nuclear that is part of central <clears throat> central well, when you when does you mean work? central planning it yeah, sounds like polar bureau bullshit come, man. come out of doe or well that's the thing these these 
Um, yeah, assuming it's at a Fed level. DOE and DOD are funding stuff that we don't know about. So this is happening. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, so I think that in regards to central planning, less is more as far as I'm concerned, but I do think this is already happening. If you have a compelling technology, you're probably gonna call the DOE and the DOD because the DOD, the Department of Defense needs remote power and storage and they'll pay i mean there's anything that's interesting remotely interesting they're going to give you money to do something and, and the dod has a great track record over decade of running nuclear subs Absolutely. and aircraft carriers that, someone, someone on twitter is like hey how come we can't just park some nuclear subs off of the coast and just plug <laughs> them in well there's, there's a good follow we don't, we don't like people <laughs> knowing where they are <laughs> that's kind of the issue just there. a side just we a like little. to keep those things in <laughs> if you if you follow bob Kuntz. On Twitter, he's a former sub nuclear sub commander. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a methodology in an organization called the High Reliability Organization, and one of the things that resonated with me when I met Bob um, a few years ago was the 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 extreme discipline and attention to detail and the tightness of managing a nuclear reactor underwater and on an aircraft carrier. While people are shooting at you. Right. Yeah. G- gives you, you know, <laughs> gives you hard. A, a, a very secure and reliable yeah. process and mechanism and people that are trained to do that very, very well because the consequences of, yeah. of yeah. an accident, which we've not had any uh, in the nuclear yeah. naval fleet, um, you know, I think speaks pretty positively about what's possible with these small reactors. Yeah. No, we know, we know how to, to your, do it. And Colin, to your point, I mean, Richard Nixon, who created the Environmental Protection Agency, despite, you know, being being the Republic, conservative Republican and all, actually had a thousand nukes across the United States plan. Now, none of them got built, but he actually laid that out, oh, what you were talking about. Yeah. Sounds better. You know, kind of went I mean, the just way my opinion, France like, I wouldn't did. mind if nuclear energy was subsidized because <laughs> it's like, it's extremely reliable, energy dense, like baseload, but I don't like subsidizing renewables. <laughs> What's funny is back when, back in my Dell, our Shell Ventures days, this, I get some deal and it's, it's like some entrepreneur calls me, he's like, it's nuclear. It's a nuclear deal. And I was like, oh, that's a good hedge for Shell because oil and gas companies are like, every single one of you talk to any of their venture groups, like, we don't do nuclear. Like, it's just a, we can't do nuclear. You can't hedge because that might disrupt your entire oil and gas business. But I was like, well, that's why you make a bet in case it actually becomes Yeah, in case real. it does something. But I called it, it's a Silicon Valley team, which I'm already suspect. Yeah. And they're like, is this, you got to sign NDA. It's top secret. I can't even tell you anything about what we're doing. I'm like, Oh, well, let me guess. It's so amazing. You're going to be able to commercialize a technology in a day. Nuclear takes forever because mm-hmm. it's so hard to do. There's so many constraints. The, the, the physics alone are actually astronomically difficult. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happened to that company. They might have raised a lot of money. But anyone that comes to me talking about a technology, I'm like, no one's going to steal your idea. Well, it's not even like... It's- you have to put this into, into play and show that I can reliably and safely produce energy. And hear a funny story. When I raised the seed round for digital wall cutters, I got invited to this uh, angel group in Houston. 
And I mean, this group cuts like maybe 25 K checks collectively. And anyways, they had three startups. I was the second one to pitch. And so I'm sitting there listening to the first one. And it was this guy pitching a nuclear fusion startup and he's looking to raise a $300,000 seed. <laughs> and I'm like texting the guy at the angel group. I'm like, Doug, you need fucking 300 million minimum to get start of a nuclear fusion, not 300K. The fuck are you doing here wasting my time? <laughs> so make fun of the uh, secretary of, of, of energy. I love this. Which well, one of y'all wants to? There, there was a ribbon cutting at the heirloom project in California, which is a thousand ton a year, a direct air capture. And immediately the, the, I, I guess the rules of thumb around kind of what all that means and, and trying to think about scale and impact was the junket, the air travel in her entourage to go make that ceremony in California would require four months of the cat, almost four months of the capture of this facility. Now this is admittedly a small scale facility. Um, but as we were talking earlier, we were looking at, you know, 2,500 units of air to capture one unit of CO2, right? Gives you an idea of, of, um, what reality is, I guess. And Mike Umbro tweeted out, uh, some, some, statistics on renewables and, and direct air capture. I think that, that you had uh, commented on as well, Kurt, and you, you're, you're the, you're the round table expert here. I mean, I'd love for a direct air capture apologist to come on our show because it's not even, you don't even get to the micro, the macroeconomic view of direct air capture is ridiculous. It takes so much energy to capture Air and and create it doesn't make any scientific physical sense to me. It doesn't economically doesn't make sense. So yeah. I'm not sure how this industry even became an industry because it reminds me a lot of algae. You know how much yeah. algae you need. I mean, how much algae you probably looked at this at back in the days. Yeah, I, I got Exxon Mobil did. A I actually had, a, had a, actually had a venture uh, capitalist come in when I was on the buy side mm. come in talking about this, and I looked at. At just the acreage and kind of the yield of the technology they were they were promoting at that time, and it was you start doing the numbers on making any kind of dent in even U.S. gasoline consumption, and it's, it's just a ridiculous. It's like first order footprint. principles here. We're mm -hmm. going to take air, and we're going to find CO two in that air, which is very small. So I, I think based upon the stats that I sent you for commercial air travel and, and emissions that for this particular, this heirloom project, you would need 900,000 of those facilities worldwide it's crazy. To, off, to, <laughs> offset, to offset what uh, commercial air travel, which I believe is low single digit percentages of total global CO2 emissions. Yeah. So yeah, air travel, which makes up low single mm -hmm. digit of total CO2 emissions, and you need 900,000 of these facilities that are getting a ton of press you can check my work but it's getting a ton of press um you know i'm kind of i'm torn on it a little bit and let me tell you why because technologies are built and refined over decades you know it's funny that we're talking about nuclear subs i had someone come on my show that um built this uh electrolyzer 
that uses plasma to dissociate H2S molecules and create hydrogen. And guess where he learned all about electrolysis was from submarines, um, mm -hmm. his time in the Navy on nuclear subs and ran me through the historical context of where we're at today with the technology. And I mean, this started back like in the fifties and like, it was very, I mean, this guy had down the order of sequential order of steps that got us to where we're at today. And so I always struggle with this a bit because you look at direct air capture and yeah, it doesn't make any fucking sense, but also how are we supposed to have any technological breakthroughs in evolution and the technology if we're not deploying in actually trying to build it, right? So um, you used an important word there and that's evolution. I mm -hmm. think all of a sudden in the last decade, we've, we've somewhat shifted to this notion that everything has to occur at revolutionary pace. And for technology like this, for small modular mm -hmm. nuclear, et cetera, et cetera, it doesn't move naturally at that pace. And so why all of a sudden are we able to flip the switch and revolutionize very complex technologies, not to mention the, you know, the, the difficult uh, economic proposition? I, I think it's more of looking at the, uh, what's the problem here? What's the, let's look at the problem, not, not the solution. We're talking about the solution, which is direct air capture. Mm -hmm. Do we have a problem with air? No, it's actually, when you kind of look at it, it's, it's a, it blows your mind how our human bodies work. And there's air that somehow got created, whether you believe in Big Bang, I don't believe there's probably higher order, whatever. 40% of CO2 emissions comes from heavy industry, you know, cement manufacturing, steel manufacturing, chemical manufacturing. They produce a lot of waste mm -hmm. and we've solved acid rain. There's ways to take really bad shit that we create and do something with it. Mm -hmm. We have scrubbers, we have membrane technology. There's ways to take bad stuff, but what direct air capture, the premise is, hey, there's nothing wrong with the air. But let's let's take shit out of it. I'm like, you're making up a problem that doesn't exist, in my opinion. Well, there's well, other would, much bigger. I would add challenges. on to that is not attacking the lowest hanging fruit first. Another guy that I was just talking about <clears throat> with this new electrolyzer, he's like, yeah, the way that we're actually looking at it is with the IRA, um, with the subsidy that comes with that. If we co-locate with renewable assets produce hydrogen and then that hydrogen's a feedstock for steel mm -hmm. instead of hydrocarbons you can decarbonize you know, steel production and cement production are huge contributors right. to co2 and so you look at like the effort to the reward it, and there's actual a path to economics at work as well and so um you know that's more the take that i would have is that there's probably lower hanging fruit that can be addressed first now let's get rid of the straws. <laughs> well, it, it all comes back, at least in direct air capture and CO2, it comes back to Chuck's question. What, what, is, the, uh -oh. what is the optimal level of, no. of CO2? Anyway, we don't even know that. No. I, the, 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 something I talk about all the time is like people forget that we're still you know, coming out of an ice age. And there's a case that maybe there's- Not enough CO2. Yeah, according <laughs> to Mark. And, and maybe we'll- No, maybe there's a case that, hey, like maybe the world's a lot better place with no ice. Around the earth, you know? Yeah, sure. Your polar bears and shit die, but. Like, but we have a lot of great and damn 
food growing. And a lot more people probably. Because yeah. I think the hotter the climate, the more uh, re- reproduction Look, happens. Right? This yeah. is, I mean, <laughs> this true. is fact. This is fact that humans by far have an easier time living in warmer climates than cold climates. You go look at, I remember last winter up in Wyoming, you know, my friend, they had that huge blizzard come through. And I mean, it's like negative 50, 60 degrees Fahrenheit, whatever the temperature is. And they could not keep their gensets running on their drilling yeah. rig. The diesel kept gelling up. You don't have that problem, you know, when it's, when it's warm. So humans are very good at living in warm climates and we really struggle and productivity decreases substantially in cold weather climates. So, um, you know, I think that. So you're advocating for a little bit of, little bit of global warming. No, I think that we could use some more global warming and CO2 in the atmosphere. I don't think that we're at like peak optimal level yet. Um, which that's like a very, like, that'd be a hot take. A lot more Literally. lithium ion batteries are going to blow up as they get hotter. This is also true. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's funny because like depending on the get people in Boston, they're like, oh, we couldn't even keep ice at our ice at our ice rink this winter. People are like there's no snow up in the in the mountains. Like people associate that with like one, something that they have the right to have. You don't have the right to have snow or ice. There's been plenty of times through history where there's been no ice on, you know, the material amount of ice on the planet. Go Dude, back I grew up, I need ice, bro. I need <laughs> ice. <laughs> Go back to the time of the dinosaurs. I mean, this entire fucking planet was tropical and on fire and, you know, that's. Well, the, the I mean, the peak, Mount Everest, like up at the top, the, uh, the, the, the rocks you're dealing with are limestone that were subsea floor. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, we, we have changed climates yeah. without man being around. I mean, no, we have five ice ages that are documented, right? That's why I always laugh. It's like people are like, oh, climate denier. I'm like, how can you, can, how can you deny that there's a climate? Like, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. There is. By the way, I want to circle back to change something for the record. We talked about the tech companies driving the, when they put up a data center, they go, to the local utility and say that, hey, it needs to be 100%. Well, I don't know the actual percentage, but many of those are offsets. They actually do not generate local renewable energy next to the data no, center. that's a great point. And that's point. a yeah. huge issue. It's financial engineering. It's totally and financial engineering so much, and fraud. There's so much fraud and grift and carbon credit marketplaces right now. For that- those, all of us in Texas that are on a retailer and that we're buying 100% clean energy, yeah, that's fake too. Someone, I mean, you're sent buying me a, someone sent me a startup deal that they were looking at investing that was like a carbon credits <clears throat> marketplace, like rewards for shopping. And I was like, I looked at it, I was like, skim through it. And I was like, I'll tell you one thing, I was like, there's so much fucking grift and fraud in carbon, carbon marketplaces that I wouldn't touch any single company over there. I don't care what they're doing, but yeah, so that's a very important important point. This is all financial engineering. It's not actually physical. You're getting it straight from straight from the wind turbine. We had some big news over the weekend, non-energy related. Maybe it's very energy related. We had two big events. One is the Aggies. What happened over there, man? Ooh. The Jimbo Fisher era is over <laughs> with a nice 
Dude, exit, how much money was check. that? Speaking uh, of money, dude, how much money? Did, well, the buyout was. How much rest, did you give to the buyout? The the buyout was the rest of the contract, which was about seventy seven million and change. And how many? What percentage was Mark's donation? It about <laughs> the concentration of CO two in the in the atmosphere. <laughs> um, yeah, that was uh, a little surprising that they waited a week and they trounced Mississippi State at home. But I guess that was part of the process over the um over the ensuing week after the loss at Old Miss on uh the preceding Saturday. You want to go early enough so you can get your choice of coach. I mean that right. Right. Because I mean they're they're gonna go to a bowl game, That's aren't right. they? Chuck? Yeah, and, and you know. what this allows is I understand there's a special transfer portal window that opens up. Right. And there was one four star that has um has announced that he's transferring, but this was a decision that was made prior to Fisher's announcement. And then he actually went in his social media post and lauded Coach Fisher. So um, it's going to, yeah, you want to get a jump. Somebody is not going to be taking their team to a bowl uh, this bowl season because they'll be the new hire. We don't know right. who that is, unless it's Dan Campbell from the Lions. But um, he gets paid. Uh, 60 days after after the termination date, he gets paid a 20, I think 25% of the remaining. And then 120 days after it starts kind of the, the eight years, seven or eight years of installments in equal amounts. So, and there's no offset. He goes he's getting, and signs a, signs a new contract so, tomorrow. There's no yeah. offset. So before we end this, I got to bring up one more story because I'm always down for some good Greta Thunberg bashing. Um, <laughs> did y'all see this video yes. of the guy taking her mic away? No. So she's at, they're at this climate protest and they're finally starting to eat their own. <clears throat> this guy walks up and takes the mic away from her and he's like, I came here for a climate uh, activist, not a political um, activist. And Anyways, they start fighting over the microphone and Greta finally gets the microphone back and then they start chanting, which I still can't figure out what this chant means, no climate justice on occupied land. I don't know what that actually means. Well, uh, she was invoking uh, what's going on in Palestine. Yeah, this is Gaza stuff. Yeah. That's, She's been promoting She Gaza. was taking that. She was pro-Palestinian in she was, her remarks. She was apparently and, making pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas comments and then that's what triggered the the guy to come up there. The yeah. the intervention. But what is no climate justice on occupied land? Mean? There's no link. There's no real link of climate justice and and the Palestinians. But she's connected those dots because it's very similar overlaps of of thinking and and same people behind uh, both sort of movements, if you will. Got you. Yeah. So anyway, seeing this dude. There we go. Dude, keep your politics pure, man. So what we didn't get to was volcanoes and earthquakes. Maybe that's next week. Next week. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll we see what happens. That's right. We already we'll had the earthquakes. So. <laughs> yeah, there we there go. There might be more. All right. If y'all enjoyed this episode, appreciate you listening in. Make sure to tune in next week and share this one with a friend. Always appreciate when you guys share it. It seems like we've been getting a lot of people that are starting to listen to it now, so maybe we're fine. And thank you, Chili's, for the sponsorship, by the way. So the single greatest moment, we were walking around Exxon, and I took a bunch of steroids, a bunch of allergies medicine, so I told the 
the youngsters walking us around. I said, I'm going to need to go to the bathroom a lot. I please don't want to hear any old guy prostate jokes. And someone turned and said, you, I thought it was Colin that had the prostate problem. <laughs> and Chuck's grin on his face is the happiest I've ever seen Chuck in his life. So, Absolutely. All right, we will catch y'all next week. Cheers. Later.